it's those little stories and connections that you go, oh, you've just got to keep going, don't you? You've got to just, you know, you've got to pick yourself up and you've got to do it for the community because there are people out there that this is important for, not just for yourself. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Recently on Deep in the Weeds, we've talked about vegan pastries, the importance of vegetables to Middle Eastern cuisine and the rise of veganism and vegetarianism for everyday eating venues. But there are some that could be considered pioneers of the movement down under, not in a soapbox way, but in setting a standard and letting the food do the talking in a restaurant setting. Heaven Lee is the owner of Bodhi Restaurant and Bar. Heaven, how are you? Very good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. It's good to have you on the show. You've um, been doing an incredible job in that vegan space for for so long. What's it like seeing the proliferation of vegetarianism and veganism across the industry in sort of more recent years? Look, I think it's exciting. Um, I know that there have been people that have felt a little threatened, particularly when non-vegetarian or vegan restaurants decide to, you know, join in. Um, but I actually love it. I think it's incredibly exciting because it drives, for me anyway, it drives competition. And competition, you know, drives better food. <laughs> so I love having more people um, involved in this side of the um, cuisine. Yeah, definitely. Um, you, you got a fascinating um, site uh, in Sydney. Can you tell us a bit about the the location and and like how did you decide to do what you do in that location? Oh my goodness! So I mean, Bodhi's been around for a really long time, but that spot that we're in in Cook and Phillip Park, it, it actually came about totally by accident. Um, so I had uh, a couple of restaurants. My mom had a couple of restaurants and we were three generations in our family in the food industry. And um, my first proper restaurant that I had was in Chinatown. And it wasn't, it wasn't a great success. I mean, it wasn't a failure either, but it wasn't, it just didn't do you know, what I had hoped it had, it was going to do. And I was very, very young. You have to remember I was, you know, probably early 20s at the time. And, um, you know, so that's a long, long time ago now. But um, I'm not, not to give away my age or anything. But, um, yeah, so I my mother's restaurant in Chinatown needed to close because the Sydney City Council were taking the building back. And so she needed a new location. My restaurant was literally across the road from hers. And so I said to her, if you want to stay in Chinatown, then why don't you take over mine and I will look for a new location, a new site. And, um you know, we had some pretty good relationships with people within Sydney City Council. And I think we were walking past Cook and Phillip Park. It had just recently been developed just pre-Olympic. And uh, there was a little sign in the window that said it was open for tender. I believe the tender closed that day. Uh, and we quickly made a, a phone call um, to some of our friends at the council and said, look, you know, we'd love to see a Bodhi concept down here. Um, and, uh, and they said yes, straight away. So that's kind of how we got the location. I think at the time there was two locations. So there was one almost directly above us um, in the aquarium centre and Neil Perry took that one. So I think he opened a walk pool up there and um, and we opened our one downstairs. Why he didn't take the one downstairs has always um you know, been my question because I always thought that was the better site. But I think he wanted that street frontage where people had visibility, whereas ours was a little bit tucked away, which I think at the end of the day has um, been to our service. 
So that's how we got it. <laughs> well, tell us, tell us about those early years. Was vegan veganism always a part of Bodhi, or um, it started as vegetarian? So. For my mom, when she started the first one, I always find it really interesting how she started. It was more out of necessity than it was out of a passion. Um, so we came into that sort of side of the restaurant industry a little bit differently from from other families, even though my grandfather had had shops um, previously in the, on the North Shore, like in Chatswood and, and stuff. Uh, you know, she turned vegetarian when she had a bit of an aha moment, a bit of an epiphany, spiritual epiphany, and realized that there was not a lot of options for us to eat out at. Um, she loved to eat out. So, you know, she thought, well, if I could if I could afford to pay a chef um, who could cook for the family, then, uh, you know, and get paid at the same time, then, you know, kind of makes sense. Let's open a restaurant, which, you know, now looking back at it is completely bonkers. But, um, she, you know, she didn't have a huge amount of experience. She was just that typical migrant family story of, well, let's just do it. And she did. And she opened the first um, Bodhi in Chinatown. And there was no one else really doing it. But it was very traditional Buddhist kind of food. Um, I like to call it sort of monk food. And it wasn't very innovative. It wasn't super creative. You know, there was over a 100 and something dishes on the menu. And um, that's how it kind of started. Uh, yeah, that's basically how we got into that sort of vegetarian, vegan side of things. And then from there, as time went on, you know, we started eliminating more and more things from the menu. I mean, Chinese food is not very dairy heavy anyway, so it was pretty easy for us to drop anything that might have been on the menu. Uh, and it just got stricter and stricter. And now as a cuisine, we probably have been more strict than we ever have been because we now look after a lot of people that have severe allergies or their um, health issues like cancer and so forth. So we have to be very, very tough on our what we will and will not cook with. I want to dive into the world of Bodhi um, shortly and, and what you've done over the last couple of decades, but take us back to when you were young. You mentioned the three generations in the restaurant industry. Um, what, what was food like for you in your family as a kid? Well, I mean, you know, they always talk about if you, if you sort of see these movies or television shows where they've got a cast of characters um, who are the stars of the show and then it's shot in a city and the city becomes that, you know, that other character in itself. I feel like food for us in our family has almost had its own, you know, seat at the table, if that makes sense, its own character. Um, and it's played a really important role in my entire childhood and upbringing till now. So, uh, I mean, my earliest, some of my earliest memories were in my grandfather's one of his takeaway stores in Chatswood sitting on a you know big sack of rice in the corner near a cash register while my family cooked and served people over the counter as people got off the trains basically after a, you know, a day's commute from work so you know food was was always there so when I think about it now um, you know food has also played a very very central role in every major family event from celebrations to funerals to the simple Sunday family yum cha lunches and stuff. So it's always been very, very important on its own. When, when did you first sort of realise that you wanted to head into the food industry as a career? I always kind of worked in the food industry because of my family. So I think, you know, 
to be a bit cheeky, it was probably very cheap labor <laughs> after school sort of thing. I don't remember actually getting paid by my mom or my grandfather, to be honest. You know, you just, everybody pitched in kind of thing. So it had always sort of, you know, we dabbled in it from childhood growing up. And then, um, you know, it started after school and I tried a few different career paths, which I thoroughly enjoyed, but food kept bringing me back. Um, the family kept bringing me back into the fold. And it wasn't um, really until probably my mid-20s when I decided, do you know what, if I'm going to have a real crack at this, I need to go and see how other people are doing this outside of my own family because you can only learn so much, you know. Um, and I think I learned the nitty-gritty hard work ethics, um, survival stuff from the family, but I needed to learn the fine-tuning, the dining experience, um, you know, the service side of the industry, the higher end of the business aspect from somewhere else. And so I decided to go to London and work over there and I was very lucky to – um, to work in some really great establishments like Nobu and Hakusan and Gilgamesh, um, where I learned to kind of hone that service side of my craft a lot better um, and that customer experience a lot better. And then I was able to come back to Australia and, and bring what I'd learned from my UK experience into my own business. The the location in um, Cook and Phillip Park is it's beautiful, but it is hidden away, as you sort of mentioned. What were the challenges in the sort of um, the early years in sort of making the business viable and people being aware of what you were doing? Yeah, look, Bodhi's always been a bit of a dis destination restaurant um, and we were lucky we had a pretty good following from my mother's restaurants, um, but it was dead. I remember we had to open... I think it was around August of 2000 because the Olympics had started and there was a cease work across Sydney. So everybody either had to open or stay closed until the Olympics was over. And we were under this sort of false pretense that, you know, there were going to be hundreds of thousands of people flooding into the city, which was actually the complete opposite. It was totally dead in town because everybody was out at Homebush. Um, so we were open the first two weeks and I remember sitting with chefs watching, you know, the table tennis on the television because we didn't have any customers. So it was just, you know, when are they going to come? When are they going to come? And, um, and they slowly did sort of thing. So the first couple of weeks were a bit nerve wracking, um, but word of mouth in Sydney gets around very, very fast. And we found ourselves getting busier and busier and busier um, as time went on sort of thing. So, you know, Yum Cha was always a massive draw card for us and uh, nighttime was never as busy or as, as good as, as dim sum was. But what we have found now is that that um, that has almost flipped a little bit, and now nighttime is its own celebration of food because it's almost like two separate restaurants in one. If that makes sense, with, with the, um, the mother and grandfather, you know, coming from the food industry, what, what sort of lessons did you learn from them um, as you've built your career? I think hard work was probably the first thing that never give up tenacity. Um, was that grit, like I've always said, you know, they really taught me that side of things. It, it didn't matter how bad things were. You, you always got up and you just got on with the job um, side of things. So from them, I learned that. And I think also one of the greatest lessons that my family have given me um is that connection of food and family and bringing people together and celebrating and connecting with, you know, other people outside of the family through food. The other thing I think that I learned from them was 
and not because they taught it to me, but because they themselves were not, let's say, necessarily innovative. Um, I learned to become innovative because they weren't. And so I was constantly challenging the box that they put around me of this is how we do it. This is why it's done that way. And I'm like, well, why? Why can't we? We need to change it. We need to be modern. We need to keep up with the times. You know, there's a chef over here doing this. There's a restaurant doing that. Why can't we adopt some of these practices um, to allow the business to flourish? So almost in a sense, the opposite of what they were trying to teach me. Um, you know, the safe sort of path was, uh, you know, for me to constantly challenge the norm and um, be innovative in what we're doing. Do you have any examples over the years of that innovation that you brought into Bodhi to help it evolve? Um, so when mum was doing her restaurants, they were quite strict on the Buddhist side of things. So there was no alcohol. That would probably be a really good example. No one was sort of doing vegan cocktails, let alone, you know, alcohol in, and especially in our restaurants. Um, and so, you know, I was always challenging that. And to be honest, we lost a lot of customers from that community once we did start serving alcohol. Um, and my family were very, you know, well, here we told you this was going to happen. But very quickly, what we found was there was a whole demographic of young people who were my own age in their 20s who, you know, wanted to have this experience of food and beverage together. So um, I think, you know, that was probably a really good example of sort of pushing my family outside of its comfort zone and then showing them that actually what it did was it created a whole new genre of diners willing to come to us um, sort of thing. Tell us a little bit about running a running a business of of this scale. I know you're very passionate about supporting women in the industry as well. Um, but what's it been like over the last couple of decades for yourself, and and also um, nurturing and creating a path for women to go on and um, do sort of what you have done. Um, I'm really proud of, of some of the people that have come through the restaurant and have, you know, gone on to sort of forge really strong careers. Uh, you know, we have lovely chefs like Sarah Chan, who went on to be, I think, exec chef Long Grain. Um, you know, I've got a fabulous chef, Brooke, who works with me now. Kitty, who's our head yum cha chef, was one of the first women yum cha chefs in the industry in Australia because it was just it was just not the done thing to have a woman lead the team. Um, and she's been incredibly successful at doing what she does. Uh, she's been with me now for almost 20 years, I would probably say. So she's almost like a second mother now. Um, so, yeah, so we've always championed women in the business. And I think that's come from not seeing a lot of women that I was able to look up to and aspire to be like, you know, in the 70s and 80s, it was an incredibly male-dominated scene. Um, from every chef to celebrity chef to restaurateur, I mean, you had women in cafes and stuff like that, but you didn't really have any sort of standout women to look up to. So I really wanted to make sure that um, – that any women coming through our business had somebody behind them believing in them and saying to them, you can do this, you know, you can do this. You are just as capable. You are just as able. You are just as talented um, to do this as anybody else. Don't ever let anybody else tell you otherwise sort of thing. So I'm, I'm really proud of championing women through the business. Uh, and I hope that we can continue to do so for many more years. You mentioned the trip to London and uh, the inspiration and the experiences that you had working in venues over there, but you, you're an avid traveller as well and writer and um, you like filming as well. Do you, do you have any food stories of, from, from your travels and the experiences that you had and, and how they 
um, transferred in what you do with your business? I think the things from tra- I'm always I always love seeing what plant based food is like overseas. Me, it's it's super fascinating. I did a trip pre-pandemic to Barcelona, and it was really wonderful to see that sort of range. I think there was a, a lovely restaurant called The Spot, which was probably the most modern um, plant-based. They were vegetarian, but most modern plant-based restaurant that I dined in over there. Um, so I love seeing that range of you know you've got this sort of early emerging vegan vegetarian sort of style restaurants, or they're, they're very sort of heavy on. Um, I call it lentil food, <laughs> basically. You know, they're quite heavy on that. Um, and then I also, in Barcelona, love sort of seeing the slow food movement as well. That was a big inspiration for me coming back here to say, okay, I've seen the slow food, mo- food movement in Barcelona and how it's working. How do we translate that over here to our own menus? You know, do we, we need to start meeting the growers and the producers and we need to go out to the farms and we need to go down and do the truffle hunt ourselves. And, and, and so that, that started me kind of looking at my sourcing of food in a very different way. So that was probably about four or five years ago. Um, I mean, there's still challenges to it. I mean, I wish I could add more um, Australian bush tucker to our food. That would That's probably a dream of mine. But I think, unfortunately, we're unable to do that just because of the scale of what it is that we need because we, we feed about two to two and a half thousand people a week through our doors. So, you know, to be able to kind of keep up with <laughs> demand is um, is near impossible sort of thing. But I, that's, that's a little secret dream of mine is to be able to add more um, – native Australian ingredients to our, our menu. Well, tell us a little bit about the menu. Um, what what can people expect when they come to eat at Bodhi? Well, I think you can expect two very different style restaurants. I mean, when people ask me, you know, when should I come to Bodhi? Is it better to come for lunch or better to come for dinner? I always say, you got to come for both because it's just, you know, day and night sort of thing. Um, Yamcha, you know, is traditionally a bit more of a Cantonese style, but for us, we have it a little bit more of a Singaporean Malaysian style of Yamcha. So there's still influences. However, there'll be some dishes that are a little bit different um, and that has been inspired from where my family come from which is Malaysia and Singapore and then at night time you know that cuisine is definitely got a stronger influence from Malaysian home cooking um, at least for me there's a lot of comfort food on the menu that features particularly around the winter time it always makes me think of you know what warms the heart what makes me want to kind of come in on a cold and chilly night and I will come in for the handmade noodles and I will come in for the taste and flavor of something my great-grandparents would have cooked um, in a small village you know back in Malaysia sort of thing and, and shared with us as children so the influences are usually quite heavily from childhood um, and from my travels around Southeast Asia growing up in, you know, Thailand and Singapore, Malaysia, Hong Kong, Japan. You'll see little hints of that that will come through the menu as well. Two decades is incredible longevity for any establishment in the restaurant industry. How, how, how do you stay relevant and, um, and be so influential and busy over, you know, that sort of period of time? I think you have to um, remain true to yourself and you have to believe in what it is that you do. Uh, You know, I think for me, we've had to be incredibly resilient, as you know very well. You know, restaurants have had a pretty hard knock during COVID um, and are still dealing with a lot of problems today. I mean, now we don't have a shortage of customers, but we have a huge shortage in the labour workforce. 
country and I, I don't quite know how that's going to get resolved in the near future sort of thing. Um, but how we've stayed relevant is by constantly pushing ourselves to be innovative um, and to question what we do you know, and to listen to our customers. You really have to listen to what people love um, and, you know, you take it with a grain of salt, but you really have to listen to them and see what's working and what's not working and then be competitive, but not with other people, with yourself. You know, what's the next thing? What can we do now? What can we, what's the envelope that we can push? What's that little um, unami flavor that we can get out of something that's going to, you know, remind us of something from the heart or from home or, you know, a memory, that sort of thing, or from a traveling experience and, and eating at the markets in, you know, in Southeast Asia. So, you know, co- constantly evolve. Don't get stuck in restaurants. Restaurant, it's very easy as you get older. And I've seen a lot of, a lot of people do this over time is they get stuck in how they do things and then your business will slowly dwindle over time. And I think you have to always push that um, to challenge yourself. The, the challenges the last couple of years have been extraordinary for everyone on the planet and, and the industry as well. But yours is an interesting restaurant given such a destination and, and, and such a specific offering as well. What, what were the challenges for you? Look, like many other people, having to um, stand down your staff is one of the toughest things. Um, You know, when I started, it was about the food in this industry, and I've realized over the years that actually it's about the people as well. Um, So that that was pretty tough to have to do that. I mean, we were lucky during the pandemic. We had a very good connection with our team. We had about 50 people working for us. And um, which is quite a big team across the board. Um, But we we set up sort of food drives for our staff because, look, I said, I can't pay your rent, but I can make sure you'll have food on the table. So we were ordering food in and having staff come in every couple of weeks to pick up groceries so they wouldn't have to worry about where the next meal was coming from. And I think that bought us – not that we were trying to do this, but that bought us a lot of loyalty amongst our team. So when we opened our doors, everybody – I think except for one or two staff that went back to their home countries, everybody came back um, with a gusto and and were willing to do whatever it took to kind of get the business up and running again. So that that was really important. Um, The challenges that we faced – was not so much a lack of customers. It has been more on the staffing side of things, uh, which I think almost every restaurateur will tell you now is is an incredible difficulty that we're all facing because we're not seeing a lot of new talent coming in and we're seeing a lot of incredibly passionate and talented people that were in the industry before not returning to the industry, you know, because of the instability that it had over the two years. And it's hard work. You know, restaurants are one of the most rewarding but toughest industries uh, in the world. Two decades is extraordinary. And growing up in a family multi-generation in the industry, what sort of advice do you have um, for those that are looking to sort of create their own stamp and their own sort of unique venue like you have? I think it helps to have an ethos and something that you believe in within a business. At least it has for me. You know, I'm incredibly proud of the fact that we've managed to have a, a successful business that's thrived and for me it has been a do no harm sort of ethos so I wanted to have something that was 
fulfilling creatively. I wanted to have something I could be passionate about. I wanted something that I could connect people over and share the love that my family had given me growing up with food. Um, But I also wanted to do something that left as small an imprint as possible on the planet from an environmental standpoint, but also um, it didn't kill any animals for pleasure. I guess that's where I was coming from when I sort of got into the Bodhi sort of, you know, um, business. And so I sleep well at night knowing that what we've created, what we've done, you know, harms as little as possible on a daily basis. Uh, And I hope that my kids growing up are going to be able to, you know, one day they're going to say, well, what what role did you play, mum? You know, when, you know, there was global warming, what role did you play? What was your stance on things? And I want to be able to, to sort of be proud of, of where I've come from and what I've done and what I've achieved and also to sort of forge a bit of a path for other people to say, you know, you can have strong morals and a strong stance on what you believe in and still find success within any industry, whether it's hospitality or not. The the plant-based sort of world has, has really blossomed in the last sort of five to ten years, but it's also very cloudy and confusing for a lot of people with um, sort of faux meat products and all sorts of things on the market. Um, what's your approach and where would you like to see plant-based sort of eating headed? Yeah, look, it's a very interesting time. Um, I mean, I love it. I think it's, it's super exciting to see the innovation that's out there from, you know, new milk products that are coming out. And I'm not talking about your oat milks and your stuff and, and stuff like that. I mean, you know, proper milk that's being that's being made but is needing a cow to make it. Um, I mean, some of the stuff they're doing now, it's, it's almost science fiction. But I think for us as a restaurant, we have to provide um, a pretty broad range of types of plant-based food for the consumer because our consumers are not just vegetarians and vegans. And that's all you know help drive our success is that we've we've never sort of preached to people what you should and what you shouldn't do we've we've really wanted the food to just stand alone and for you to judge based on what we present to you on a plate basically so you come in you eat you love it you go oh i didn't know plant-based food could be like this so that's why you'll see sort of some faux meats featured on our menu although personally it's not my favorite thing i don't eat a lot of faux meat myself um i think that you know, there's a lot more out there to celebrate. And I love the humble vegetable at the end of the day. Um, you know, I'm, if you take me to my roots of what do I actually eat at home on a day-to-day basis, it's quite simplistic country Chinese sort of style food. Um, and faux meat doesn't feature heavily on my home menu. So, but I do think we need to supply that for customers. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see the next five to 10 years what happens. Um, you know, we're always trying to keep an eye on what's coming up in the industry food-wise. But I would love to see people circle back around to just really simple, clean, whole foods. Because as much as faux meat is important and plays a great role um, as an introductory food, I don't necessarily believe that it should be a staple food because it's still processed. So, you know, I, I'm a big believer the less processed food we eat, the better it is. I mean, you know, that 
it, little things like, you know, if you go fishing and you catch a fish, it's probably the best thing for a vegan to be explaining, but, you, you know, you catch, you catch a fish and some of the best dishes are when it's been simply cooked across a fire with a squeeze of lemon juice. And you know what I mean? It's you're actually tasting the actual flavors of, of, of what it's meant to be like. So I'd like to see the plant based industry circle back round to really celebrating, like I said, that humble vegetable, because it really is diverse and amazing what we have um, the ability to get our hands on here in this country. Is there a dish or two that sort of stood the test of time on the menu or one that you really love at the moment that 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 you can tell us about? Um. So I have two dishes. One is something that I've been trying to get off the menu <laughs> for the last <laughs> 15 years. <laughs> so it, I won't call it my favourite dish. Uh, it's a mock meat dish. It's the Peking duck. Uh, for some reason, it, it just sells like nothing else. And um, every time I try and remove it, I get emails, people protest. I get people complain in person. Why did you take it off the menu? I've been trying to get rid of that dish forever and a day. Um, <laughs> but... But for some reason, I'm not allowed to. So that's that's listening to my customers. Um, but sort of one of my favorite dishes on the – actually, I've got two favorite dishes on the menu at the moment. Um, one of them is a, is a really simple stuffed zucchini flour, but it's done in an Asian way, which is why I love it because it's a little bit different. Uh, and my second one would definitely be handmade noodles. I mean, that's just – it's that time of year, right? Like handmade noodles are just a thing which you have to have. Um, so that's that's probably my, my favourite thing because it's something I can also do at home with my kids. It's something I can eat in the restaurant. Um, so that's that just always reminds me of home. It reminds me of my grandparents and my family catching up and us actually making sort of torn handmade noodles and just throwing them into a hot pot and then eating them straight out five minutes later and burning your mouth and just going, oh, my God, that's so good, I need more. So those would be my favourite dishes on the menu. And that dastardly peaking duck, I will get rid of it one day. (laughs) (laughs) What you've created over the last couple of decades is quite extraordinary, but what do you love about what you do? I love the people. Um, I think that's something that brings me back to it time and time again. Uh, you know, I have sort of some new emerging faces coming through at the moment. Um, I have a wonderful girl called Laura who's working for me, who I think is going to be an amazing restaurateur one day. So being able to sort of work with and mentor young girls like herself. Uh, so it is always the people. And, you know, the number of times I think, look, over 20, 30 years, you have moments when you go, I can't do this anymore. I, I just, I don't know how I'm going to face doing this again. You know, maybe you're going through a crisis or something and you're just like, okay, maybe it's it's time to finish what I'm doing. And every time I have one of those moments where I've picked myself off of the bathroom floor and, you know, said, all right, let's just go in today and, and see what today brings, I'll meet a customer or somebody will come up to me and will share with me their experience of Bodhi and it always draws me back in. You know, I recently had a a customer come up and tell me how his daughter, he used to carry his daughter on her, on his hip and he used to come into the kitchen when my mom was there in her restaurant and how she's grown up sort of eating our food. And now she has a daughter of her own. So there's three generations who are coming in. They're celebrating her birthday. So there's three generations coming in and, and they'll tell me how they've been for every anniversary and they've been for every birthday. And it's just, it's their one, you know, place to go. And I think they moved into state but still come back into Sydney to eat at Bodhi. So it's those little stories and connections that you go, oh, you've just got to keep going, don't you? You've got to just 
you know, you've got to pick yourself up and you've got to do it for the community because there are people out there that this is important for, not just for yourself. Well, Heaven, it's amazing what you've created and an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today to hear your story. Please keep in touch and um, we'll catch up again soon. Thank you so much for having me today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And thank you for what you do for the industry as well. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well.